This morning's scripture reading is from Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 38. So I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Once again, we're starting in verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them at all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church family, and to everyone tuning in near and far. My name is Tim, and I serve here at EBF as lead pastor. And just want to say thank you so much for putting together that kind commissioning video last week. It was just such an awesome pleasure just to see that encouragement from friends and family near and far and uh, to be reminded of God's faithfulness over the course of so many years in ministry. Hey, this week has been filled with drama, the drama of the election, and I'm sure many of us, for many of us, that is still foremost in our minds. And I just want to encourage us that no matter the outcome, God is still on the throne The gospel is true, and our trust is not in human beings, but in the Lord God Almighty. It is because of this great truth that we can rest in His sovereign will, that we can find strength in Him, and grow even more eager for that day when all things will be made new. Hey, earlier this week, I had the opportunity to record uh, some encouragement, some post-election encouragement, and I would uh, just urge all of us to, um, to, to watch through that and to be reminded of these key gospel truths. But today, dear church, I want us to feast upon God's word. May these truths ring in our ears and in our hearts, and may we look to Christ who ransomed us with nothing less than his own blood shed on the cross. Today we are finishing up our series in Acts 18-20 through called God's Gracious Gospel, exploring the birth of the church in Ephesus. Next Sunday we will begin our journey through the book of Ephesians in a series called Unity in Christ. And here's my challenge to our church. Let's be reading through 
the book of Ephesians once a week over the next 20 weeks. It works out to read a chapter a day beginning with Monday. And so that is my challenge for all of us, to spend the next 20 weeks marinating and soaking it in Scripture, hearing these truths over and over again. Here, though, at the end of Acts 20 is Paul's farewell address to the elders of the church he helped plant. Remarkably, it is the only instance in the book of Acts of a lengthy address by Paul to a group of believers. But it is very instructive and reveals much about his purpose and his passions. In the first half of the address, in verses 17 through 27, we discovered six gospel principles taken, taken from Paul's own example in his life and in his ministry. Paul's life authenticated the gospel he proclaimed. Paul proclaimed the gospel fearlessly, verbally, openly, and broadly. Paul called everyone to respond to God's gracious gospel in repentance and faith. And what's more, Paul was ready to suffer for the sake of the gospel and to testify to the gospel until his last dying breath. And finally, Paul proclaimed the gospel fully and left the results up to God. Here in the second half of Paul's farewell address, he turns then to more direct exhortations to those dear elders in the church. And today we have the privilege of listening in and being challenged by these same challenges to shepherd God's flock. Shepherd God's flock. Would you pray with me? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. In this week filled with uncertainty surrounding the election, an even greater highlighting of the deep divides in our nation, and a reminder of our fellow believers who suffer all around the world because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we plead for your mercy. Would you help us to rest in your sovereign will? Rather than tuning out or dismissing those who didn't vote the way we did, Lord, help us to listen, to seek understanding, to find common ground. We pray for our sisters and brothers who face ostracism, death threats, imprisonment, and the like. We are inspired, Lord, by the resiliency of their faith in you, and we pray that you would, you would preserve them through the fire. Father, creation groans. Our hearts are longing for that day when all things will be made new for your own glory. And so, Lord, teach us this day as we come to you. Teach us by the food of your holy word your word of grace that is able to build up. In Jesus' precious and matchless name, amen, amen. I'll never forget that day. It was the day of our unit's change of command ceremony. And here was our entire company of soldiers assembled together to hear some final words of wisdom from our revered captain. He spoke of loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity, and personal courage. But knowing that we had served together, that we had experienced separation from our families together, that we had sweat together, we had bled together, made his charge all that much more powerful and effective. And in many ways, that's what we find here in Acts 20. As Paul, like my revered commander, gives his final words of encouragement and challenges those that he had served among, that he had sweat among, that he had bled among and shed tears among. His final charge to the elders of the church in Ephesus was to shepherd God's flock. 
That is the main truth that should ring in our hearts today, to shepherd God's flock. In our time together this morning, we will be challenged with seven ways to shepherd God's flock, taken from Paul's exhortation to the elders in Acts 20, 30, 28 through 38. And I have to admit, this will be a bit like my commissioning service where Rick Thompson charged me and as, as well as the, the entire elder team as shepherds. Even as I preach this message, I, I picture myself in the front row. And even in preparing these words, hearing them first and foremost for myself, and also for the rest of the elders, and also for those that aspire to serve in the role of elders. But while this text is especially for elders, it is not exclusively for elders. It is vital that we hear these challenges, that we take them to heart. D.A. Carson was one of my professors at Trinity, and he reminded us that the qualifications for elders in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 are elsewhere encouraged of all believers, with one exception, that is, being able to teach. The elder qualifications are like, we, we might call them a portrait of a maturing Christian, a portrait of a maturing Christian that we should all aim for. So with that in mind, let's dive in here, beginning with the first way the elders are to shepherd God's flock. Shepherd God's flock by keeping watch over ourselves. We, we see this here in verse 28. Paul begins his key exhortation in, in verse 28 by saying, pay careful attention to yourselves. Perhaps you've heard the acronym BOLO. It means be on the lookout. And that's kind of what this first command means. But what's surprising about this thing is we're told to be on the lookout for ourselves. It is vital that elders in the church begin by paying attention to our own soul care hearing from God, heeding God's call, rooting out idols in our lives, and ministering then out of the overflow of, God, of what God is doing in our very lives. And there are, there are two layers kind of taking place here. The first is paying attention to ourselves individually in what we might call personal accountability. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Paul would later charge Timothy, the pastor of the church in Ephesus, in 1 Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch on yourselves and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. The second layer, though, to this, keeping watch over yourselves, is paying careful attention to our fellow elders in what we might call mutual accountability. This is one of the reasons that a plurality of elders is so important. Leaders need to be held accountable for how they live and what they teach. The elder team helps guard one another from error and arrogance. Robert Murray Machane, a minister in the Church of Scotland in the 19th century, wrote this. He said, my people's greatest need is my personal holiness. And that is so true. In the same way, though, every believer's life should be characterized by soul vigilance. Here's how C.S. Lewis puts it. He's, he writes, The true Christian's nostril is to be continually attentive to the inner cesspool. <laughs> Boy, he has a way of writing it. He has a way with words, doesn't he? But I'm reminded of how our, our kids, um, our kids are Irish twins. They're less than a year apart. And what that means is there was a long stretch where they were both in diapers. And I can't tell you how many times, you know, 
we've been hanging out and you begin to sniff, you know, <laughs> sniff a couple times ago, something stinks. Sure enough, Sam's poopy. <laughs> we should constantly be sniffing out sin in our own souls by the power of the word of his grace. Here's the second way to shepherd God's flock. Let us shepherd God's flock by keeping watch over the church. The rest of verse 28 emphasizes that. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. In this verse, we are given the scope, the call, the responsibility, the ownership, and the cost of shepherding God's flock. First, the scope. We are to shepherd all of the flock, every member, whether they be wandering or fighting or limping or thriving or sinning or biting or whatever the case may be, not one member should be overlooked. This is part of why the elder care groups that we've started here at EBF are, are so important. It is a vital tool to help us as elders better shepherd all of the flock. This is also part of why membership is so important. It is important, it is vital that we know who the flock is, know who it is that we are accountable to and that are under our care. It's worth noting too that elders and their families are a part of that flock. Did you notice that phrase, in which, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers? Second, the call. We are called by the Holy Spirit to serve as elders slash overseers. It is God's spirit that cultivates the heart of a potential elder, helps him to aspire to the role, as 1 Timothy 3 reminds us, and shapes his gifts and passions, abilities, personality, and experiences in preparation then for that role. And then it is the congregation that affirms this spirit-initiated calling in the life of an elder candidate. One of the places that we see that is in Acts 13, verses 2 and 3. As the Holy Spirit sets aside Paul and Barnabas for the work, and then the church fasts and prays over them and sends them out. We need to remember, though, that you don't have to be an elder to have a significant kingdom impact. God gifts people in many ways and uses every believer to do the work of the ministry. We're going to see that even as we get into our Ephesians series. And so what is your unique kingdom impact? How has, how has God gifted you and called you to make a difference? Third, the responsibility. Our responsibility as elders is to care for the church. The word care for here means to shepherd. It means more than just feeding. It is a comprehensive term that means to act as a shepherd in caring for the flock. Elsewhere in Scripture, we see the shepherding ministry, including things like watching over, equipping, teaching, guarding, directing, and praying for the flock. Shepherding is a common metaphor that's found in Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament, for leaders who are to provide for and protect God's flock. The prophets, though, frequently called out Israel's shepherds for not feeding the sheep, for not searching for the sheep and for leaving them vulnerable to attack. In contrast, the model leader is the Lord who shepherds his people and, and shepherds them well and faithfully. As I mentioned last week, our conviction at EBF is that the terms elder and pastor and overseer are used interchangeably in Scripture and refer to, to one and the same role. 
those interrelated terms are on full display just in this passage itself. It begins with this whole uh, passage being geared for the elders, Paul calling the elders of the church in Ephesus. He then recognizes the Spirit's role in making them overseers. And there, then there is shepherding language that is used here in terms of the flock and also to shepherd. Closely related to that term is the term for pastor. It could very well be that shepherding and overseeing then are two functions of what it means to be an elder. An elder is one who both shepherds and oversees. So the elder, pastor, as shepherd, should care, uh, should also challenge the poor models that we have um, of spiritual leadership. That whole notion of the pastor or elder as shepherd should fly in the face of thinking that the pastor is alone, the pastor is a lone ranger, or that the pastor is a CEO, or that the pastor should be a celebrity or a rock star. No, we're called to shepherd. Fourth, the ownership. It is the church of God. The church is not ours. It is God's. Elders are merely custodians or stewards of the flock that actually belongs to God. And this truth should inspire us to greater faithfulness. We are among those who will have to give an account for what we did with those entrusted to our care. Hebrews 13 verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Elders are among those who will have to give an account. We should persevere in caring for the flock by remembering how valuable they really are in God's sight. And so the cost, just how valuable is the church? It was obtained with Christ's own blood. As we just sang, Jesus paid it all. Christ's sacrificial death on the cross ransomed us from sin. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. This should challenge us to maintain a high view of the church not only for elders, as we care for some that may be more difficult to love. They were bought by the precious blood of Christ. But also for all of us, we should love one another deeply, even in times of disagreement, even in times of differences of conviction, and even in times of conflict. Why? Because each one was bought by the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Richard Baxter, the English Puritan church leader, wrote this in his book, The Reformed Pastor. He wrote, I, I found this particularly striking and convicting myself, but he wrote, Oh, then let us hear these arguments of Christ. Whenever we feel ourselves grow dull and careless, did I die for them? And wilt not thou look after them? Were they worth my blood and are they not worth thy labor? Did I come down from heaven to earth to seek and to save that which was lost? And wilt thou not go to the next door or street or village to seek them? How small is thy labor and condescension as to mine? I debased myself to this, but it is thy honor to be so employed. Have I done and suffered so much for their salvation? And was I willing to make 
thee a co-worker with me? And wilt thou refuse that little that lieth upon thy hands? It's challenging, convicting. Here's the third way to shepherd God's flock. Shepherd God's flock by being alert to threats. Being alert to threats. There in verses 29 through 31 in particular, 31 at the end says, therefore be alert. We'll we'll go back to what's before it. But this term for alert is another pastoral term, deeply pastoral term. It means to be vigilant or to keep watch. It's the same term that was used in Hebrews 13, 17, as we just read. Church leaders should be constantly on the alert, like shepherds staying awake to watch out for predators at night. Paul calls those predators fierce wolves and explains that they're both an external threat as well as an internal threat. Externally, Paul says in verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. What a, what a vivid and terrifying and sobering image. Jesus, too, warned in Matthew 7, verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. But there is also an internal threat, as Paul notes in verse 30. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. There is evidence in First and Second Timothy that this did take place in Ephesus. In 2 Timothy 2, verses 16 through 18, it says, Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Sadly, examples of fierce wolves are all too familiar. A popular book that is just close enough to the truth makes its way through a congregation. A pastor becomes disgruntled, leaves, and actively recruits members from the previous church. A church leader makes blanket statements that those who vote differently than they do are not true followers of Jesus Christ. There are examples of these things that happen all the time. And this is why it is vital that as an that an elder, as Paul writes in Timothy 1.9, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. We must remain vigilant. The word for be alert is the same word that's used in 1 Peter 5 verse 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Here's the fourth way to shepherd God's flock. Shepherd God's flock by weathering, warning, and weeping. Look at the rest of verse 31. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. At the end of verse 31 here, Paul reiterates how for three years he did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Shepherding God's flock involves weathering adversity. Paul kept at it for three years. We saw some of that ministry earlier in Acts, those long, grueling years, and faced significant challenges during that time. This is a good reminder to us as elders when the challenges inevitably come, to weather adversity. Shepherding God's flock, though, also involves warning people or admonishing people, like the watchmen on the walls we 
looked at last week. It almost seems as though Paul had Ezekiel 33 and 34 in mind as he exhorted the elders here. Not only in, in warning people, but then also in the responsibilities of shepherds. If we see threats approaching, though, and don't sound the alarm, it is on us. And shepherding God's flock involves not only weathering and warning, but also weeping, engaging emotionally, shedding tears. Sometimes those are tears of sorrow. Sometimes seeing someone make a shipwreck of their faith. And sometimes, though, they are tears of joy, rejoicing with those who rejoice. Here's the fifth way to shepherd God's flock. Shepherd God's flock by remembering God's presence and word. Look at verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul reminds the Ephesian elders that they, they don't shepherd alone. God's presence is with them and his power is with them. Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Paul also reminds them that they are to sit under and minister the word of his grace. The word of his grace. This is a phrase that is synonymous with the, the gospel of the grace of God in verse 24. Only God and the word of his grace can build people up and give them a lasting inheritance. And so when we feel nearly crushed by the weight of shepherding, let us remember God's presence is with us, God's promises that are found in his word, and God's power displayed in his gracious gospel. May that be what comforts us. May that be what reassures us as we keep our hand to the plow and don't look back. Here's the sixth way to shepherd God's flock. Shepherding God's flock means giving rather than getting. We are to shepherd God's flock by giving rather than getting. Paul returns to his own example here in verses 33 through 35, and he encourages the elders to be even more concerned with giving than receiving. Look at what he, what he says. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Greed can be a significant issue for anyone and elders or pastors are not immune. By saying this, Paul does not mean that Christian workers should not be paid. At other times, he would say, you know, things that, like how he received support from other churches, and Jesus himself says a worker is worth his wages. But what he is getting at here, what he is getting across, is that his life is an open book before the, the Ephesians. His teaching and his living were congruent. That's a great math term. His teaching and his life were congruent. Those who shepherd should focus on the needs of others and be more concerned about what we can pour into people than what we get from them in return. And that is so, that is so counterintuitive. We can so easily fall into that trap of, what am I going to get from this relationship? What am I going to get from this opportunity? Rather than thinking about how we can give. We should not be motivated by earthly gain. In the qualifications for elders in 1 Timothy and in Titus, 
we have that of not being a lover of money or not being greedy for gain. It is so vital, so important that it is in the very list of qualifications itself. It is also important to note that in this farewell address that was so centered on the word and this so caught up in sound teaching that Paul also showed a great concern for the poor, as he does elsewhere in Romans 15 and Galatians 6, Ephesians 4, and 1 Thessalonians 5. Even though Paul was concerned about the purity of the gospel and the proclamation of the gospel, he didn't neglect the practicing of the gospel, practical ministry to the poor. Tim Keller writes in his book, Generous Justice, he writes, in talking about this very passage, he writes, the Apostle Paul viewed ministry to the poor as so important that it was one of the last things he admonished the Ephesian church to do before he left them for the last time. In his farewell address, Paul was able to ground this duty in the teaching of Jesus. We must help the poor, he said. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. You don't use your last words about saying something that is all important to you. For Paul, it was, don't just preach, help the poor. I love that quote. And that thought, when using your parting words with someone, you would want to get across that which is most important. And for Paul, it was a linking of both the proclaiming of the gospel and the practicing of the gospel, especially in helping the weak. Here's the seventh way to shepherd God's flock. Shepherd God's flock by sending people well. Shepherd God's flock by sending people well. At the end of Paul's farewell address, a very emotional scene plays out in verses 36 through 38. It says, When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Shepherding God's flock means that there are inevitably going to be tearful goodbyes as people are sent out as extensions of the kingdom and of the ministry of the local church. This has certainly been part of EBF's legacy, and it is one that we want to continue doing well. Let's be a church that builds people up with the word of his grace, and that sends people out well as extensions of the kingdom. Let's be a church that invests in people, knowing that it could be for this context or it could be for the context to come. All of us, though, should also aim to be sent well with tears and kisses and embracing. It's kind of hard to even fathom that in this, in this time of COVID, but even knowing that we will spend eternity together. Let us be a people that aim to be sent well whenever that time comes. Oh, church, let us shepherd God's flock, and especially us as elders, let us shepherd God's flock by keeping watch over ourselves, by keeping watch over the church, by being alert to threats both external and internal, by weathering adversity, by warning people consistently, and by weeping with those who weep. Let us remember God's presence and word, his life-giving word. And let us shepherd by being more concerned by giving rather than getting. 
and let us be a church that sends people well. Where should we look? Where should we look for the ultimate example of what it means to shepherd God's flock? Let us look no further than Jesus himself, he who is the good shepherd. He knows the sheep. He cares for the sheep. He goes after the sheep. He died for the sheep, and he will never lose his sheep. I would encourage all of us to reflect on John 10, kind of in concert with this passage we're looking at here this morning, as we are reminded of he who is the good shepherd. John 10, verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. We have a good shepherd. Oh, we have a good shepherd. And Jesus is also the chief shepherd, under whom all earthly shepherds serve. We serve as under-shepherds. 1 Peter 5 verse 4 reminds us, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for sending your Son, the good shepherd, our chief shepherd, who willingly gave of himself, who laid his life down, and purchased a people for himself with his own blood. Our Lord Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect. And so God, as we go, as we go forward from here with these truths ring in our hearts, God, thank you for reminding us of the, this high and holy calling that you've placed upon leaders within the flock. But would you help all of us too to remain vigilant, to be alert, to be watchful, Looking forward to that day, O oh Lord, when all things will be made new. In the meantime, Lord, help us to love well. Help us to recognize that there are some sheep that are not yet a part of this fold. And so, Lord, would you help us in the coming days and weeks and months and years ahead to proclaim the gospel and to practice the gospel so that you are honored and glorified. And we thank you, Lord, for that inheritance to come that inheritance we'll celebrate with all of our fellow saints. Oh, Lord, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Amen.